So how's it going? Are you all good? Uh, I uh, yeah, I guess I'm fine. I uh, it's uh, eight in the morning here in uh, Oak in Oakland, oh, yeah. California, and uh, uh, it's a, a pleasure to talk with you guys um, for uh, maybe about an hour before I have to go off to Chinese class. Um, oh, that's yeah. That sounds yeah. good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't done my homework either. I got to do that on the bus on the way up. Um, so yeah, is it university classes or is the language school? Yeah, it's doing? at Berkeley, um, where I am. Oh, all right. Right. I guess to 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 introduce myself, as it were. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm sure. I'm a second year PhD student at UC Berkeley Department of Film and Media, and uh, I uh, I'm just like a theory guy, right? Um, and I have a very dilettantish uh, interest in uh, Chinese cinema. Uh, so, um, that's why I'm studying Chinese. Uh, and, uh, and it's also, it's a pleasure to be talking to you guys. I, uh, appreciate your, uh, your, your, your research such as I've been able to read and also your, uh, your sort of, uh, uh, social media kind of commentary on the goings on in sort of digital culture in, uh, uh-huh. in, uh, China and, uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong. So, uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you guys. Uh, it's great to talk to you. We always, uh, otherwise we, we always talk to ourselves, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, that's good. So, um, I don't know. How's Berkeley? Is it, uh, is it fun? You're just back from Beijing, Yeah, I'm right? back from Beijing where I did a summer language course at IUP at Tsinghua. And uh, Berkeley mm. uh, sucks. I hate the city of Berkeley. Um, I, I, I lived in New York for the past eight years, uh, more or less. So it was right. pretty traumatic to come out here. I've got to say, uh, Berkeley is um, it's it's very fascinating and curious to me the the place that uh, Berkeley evidently occupies in the right wing imagination in this country, because yeah, oh, really? because if they knew anything about it, I think they'd find much less to object to. Um, Berkeley is uh, Berkeley is like a is like a Disneyland for ex hippies. Uh, it's like a yeah, it's a uh, bunch of like sort of gray-haired retired people who were involved in the uh, famous free speech movement here, as it was called, a kind of pre-hippie uh, civil rights activism uh, thing that was going on here in the mid-60s. And now they're all um, just utterly self-satisfied. They live in like $2 million uh, homes and they do absolutely everything they can to fight rent control in the midst of like the the most severe housing crisis in the United States. So um, it's the, I, I, I find the city of Berkeley just to be sort of total uh, total uh, lifestyle progressivism uh, with with no teeth all right. at all and uh, yeah you know is it, how how is it connected to the university like well is it mm, or- yeah well I mean I find the um, uh, I, I find the student body is is more genuinely sort of uh, progressive or leftist than. The population of, of the town of Berkeley, since Berkeley is such an affluent right. uh, city, uh, and the university is, um, despite the fact that you've got a lot of uh, perfectly fine off uh, middle class kids here, it also is a public university. There's a there's um, yeah, we've got a lot of kids here who, who work full time, uh, who are dealing, who are coming from poor families. 
Uh, we got a lot of people who transfer in from community college at Berkeley. There's like a nice back door into Berkeley through the community college system. Mm. So um, there's the among the students, there's a lot of people. There's a lot more people who like actually have skin in the game, and who are sort of um, organized and involved in political activities. Certainly much more so than myself. Right? I, I've got it easy. I'm just a. I'm just. I'm just drawing right, a stipend. Sure. You know. <laughs> yeah and how how's the like china cinema thing going in berkeley like did is there a are there related courses or are you just putting things together on your yeah own? no it's actually um i guess i guess it's the reason i came to berkeley i suppose e okay. even though like i say my interest isn't is entirely you know i'm I'm not like a east asian studies guy or anything um I uh, studied Chinese in undergrad for a couple years and then never never used it, never moved to China. It basically mm. all withered away. Um, but I got into uh, like, you know, the sort of Chinese new documentary movement just in my own kind of cinephile right. stuff. And um, when I came and visited Berkeley, I had a good uh, conversation with my, my current advisor, Wei Hong Bao. Um, who's a scholar who, who does more like historical stuff like the 1930s, but is uh, a real ace when it comes to theory and was just like very uh, encouraging or whatever that I should pursue this interest. So she actually is like, she's actually a, a, attracted a lot of very uh, talented and, and much smarter than myself uh, grad students who work on Chinese cinema. Um, this semester actually is is going to be pretty pretty cool if um, Chinese film history is is what is is your thing um, because uh, the Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive our our like repertory theater is um, screening a series of uh, films that we've borrowed from the uh, from the Beijing um, from the from the Beijing film film archive. Film no, from the archive, oh, right, the Zhongguo Dianing Zi Guan, and the hmm. uh, yeah, and so they're showing like a series of like six or eight films from. Is it all documentaries or is it actual feature? No, films? these these are feature films from from a, the sort of transitional moment, as I understand it, when the Communist Party sort of took power and started to change the film industry. So it's like it's like right. from just before they take power, like 1947 through the early 50s. So it, I guess the point of the series is to display the transformations in the Chinese film industry that occurred over that period of time. And then we've also got I'm taking a course this semester uh, on this uh, huge archive that we acquired. I guess it's like allegedly the uh, the largest private archive of uh, Chinese film like paraphernalia of like film magazines collectible items posters etc all of it like most of it all uh historical uh berkeley acquired it from paul fonaroff who is uh, a film critic in hong kong and a guy who used to work in the uh, hong kong film industry uh really during like it's it's peak years in the 80s and 90s and now he's sort of like i don't know i i don't know if you guys have ever uh, heard of this guy since you you guys all went to uh, school in no, hong I'm, kong i guess i honest no i don't know do you know did you hear about this guy no he's no. he's sort of like uh he's sort of like it, it seems he's sort of like you know um you know there's this movie channel here at least called like turner classic movies and there's like this there's always this uh -huh. like old white-haired guy who gives you like really um 
you know, endearing sort of trivia about the movie you're about to watch. He sort of seems like Hong Kong's so equivalent. So he, he's not in Hong Kong anymore, or he's in the U.S. now. Um, uh, he's back and forth between Hong Kong, okay, where right. I guess he he still Hong writes uh, film criticism. I'm not sure for which newspaper, and um, and the United States. He's like, you know, it's like part of uh, acquiring his like massive personal collection of of stuff is that he's coming to Berkeley a lot to like give lectures, and uh, he's actually a pretty. Um, interesting guy who's had a, a certainly like a really weird adventurous life and uh he's just he's just a huge nerd about like classic chinese cinema so it's, it's kind of interesting great so what kind of maybe we, we can talk a little bit about uh like chinese documentaries just because i'm i'm a big fan i, oh, I love, cool. i don't know if it's if it's if it's stuff that belongs to like new new documentary mm-hmm. movement is that how it's called but anyways, like pretty pretty recent things, I I really like, especially more underground ones. And I think Dino as well. I don't know about Josh, but which directors are you into? Is there like, are you writing about someone in particular? Oh man, I'm uh, I, I'm much more interested in hearing your recommendations. I uh, I'm I'm hardly writing about anything right now because I'm just doing I'm just doing mm. coursework, you know. So it's like uh, to remind right. everybody, I guess, like the the American PhD structure is like hell it's like you do coursework for like two or three years and like then then yeah you do i know research. it's like yeah. It, it, it it yeah it has a master's inside it right yeah so it's like all of my papers yeah. just per- right now just pertain to like required readings in like media theory and film history um i haven't uh i haven't done much research lately i've just been able to watch the kind of things that like come through the United States. You know, my, my viewing recently has been dependent on the sort of interest of uh, American film curators, right? So, oh, yeah, right, so. right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big, like, Wang Bing Of course, fan. yeah, he's super. Yeah, I, I really, like, I really enjoyed his movie since uh, when I watched, uh, what, what is it called, uh, West mm-hmm. of the Tracks? Yeah. Uh, like, Tia Shi Chu. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of mind-blowing and even the the ones that he kept doing are still uh, quite interesting especially like his use of time like very mm. long uh, usually very long documentaries yeah no i mean wang bing is sort of um uh i i, I feel like he's one of the greatest filmmakers alive and he's certainly my uh mm. he's, he's just like a kind of hero of mine uh tia shi chu sure. uh had had a nice like personal significance because the, f- the first time i ever went to china was after i um i graduated from high school and i went to china with uh, my best friend who was who from there and we actually uh i, I stayed in tia shi chu for a month because that's where my friend was from um Right, yeah, and of course cool. not in these like giant hellish factories. Tiesi Chu is like an entire like quarter of Shenyang, you know. Um, yeah, it's all the district. So, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that that film had an interesting personal significance. I um, I've been so busy with ships. I I the last Wang Bing I saw was uh, Till Madness Do Us Part, and he's so um, he's so prolific. I th- oh, I, I don't know that He's done two or three one. more films since then, and. No, I mean actually, I have his filmography open mm-hmm. here. It's like, I watched, I was TC Chu and Crude Oil and uh, Man with No Name, and I think that's the last one mm-hmm. I watched. Cool. Uh, like 2010, we, but he made like uh, eight, nine movies after that. I think we watched Three Sisters together, right? 
We watched Man with No Name. Yeah, but also yeah, we also went. Also, Three Sisters. Yeah, went to the film festival, or or just me and Keith. You didn't go. Ah,、uh, I think just you and Keith. Yeah, I didn't go. Okay. Was it good? It was. Well, it was very. I don't know. It's like kind of. It's 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 like、um, Man Without a Name, but it's more like Fox、yeah. and Children's, like extreme.、Poverty. I think that that one had a little bit more like a social, yeah, yeah, consciousness edge to it. Yeah, and it makes it very well. It's 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 a sort of really shocking image, but at the、mm. same time, I'm not exactly sure how he wants to do what what he want to do with it. Like, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, Man Without a Name was more like a. For me, it was very much a static sort of sort of experience of like cinematic experience.、It、was quite interesting and a sort of yeah, the, and maybe because it's a like it's an old man and it's different from seeing like yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. For the the kids one was like more like because it's the poverty is so extreme that on a really huge screen, it just really have to you really have to deal with that emotionally. So. It's been difficult.、Yeah. It's really difficult for me. So like, um, I don't know what he want, what he, what he wants to do with it. What is uh till madness do us part about? Um,、Patrick? that is yeah. That's um a movie he made in a a mental hospital. Uh, and oh right. Yeah, it's it's uh, I I thought it was really super compelling. I mean, obviously, it's uh you know it's the usual Wang Bing thing. It's a lot of really long shots. Of、uh, people、uh, in just like miserable, miserable conditions.、Um, some of the editing is really phenomenal. gives gives a really phenomenal、mm. sense of real time,、uh, and you're you're just like wondering how he pulled it off, and whether these shots are from two different days or.、Um, and、uh, does it use?、Uh, is it still handheld cameras, or is it more like? HD production with with good cameras. I think、stuff. the cameras are better, but I don't remember them. It didn't、mm. have like a 4K kind of feel. It felt like maybe it was shot in like 1080,、right. you know. So it's like he's using better、mm-hmm. cameras, but there's still a kind of impressionistic, like digital haziness to it. And、um, the there's a really the, the most notable shot in it, which is in all the publicity stills, is is really quite phenomenal. And it's it's the usual like. Wang Bing following a guy from behind, just like walking forever. Right, Except right, right. that the、um, in this case, what the guy is doing is he the 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 mental、uh, hospital is basically like has like a giant courtyard atrium in the middle. So it's just a guy going around in circles around this square, and eventually starts running, and the camera starts chasing him, and it's it's this really amazing.、Um, Sequence where you you really feel the sort of、uh, embodiment of the camera and the kind of the physical performance of tailing the subject and you don't know why the subject is running or why the cameraman is running and it just creates this. Is he is he a patient? Like is 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 one of the patients of the mental hospital? Yeah, yeah. It's it, as I seem to recall,、yeah. it's this kind of.、Um, It's this kind of young man, and this this kind of what he does is he like w- just like walks around all the time.、Um, So that, that's a really remarkable sequence. I mean, something that's kind of interesting about the film that I uh, maybe uh, uh, hope to like ask Wang Bing about one day if I can connect with him uh, is um, uh, with that film he shot with、uh, several cameramen,、um, and you、hmm. you really have no sense of this at all watching the film. I mean, it just really feels like T.S.U. It seems like the 
So he he maintains that aesthetic of like a his own hand doing yeah yeah and i i want i wonder how he pulled that off i mean on the one hand it's kind of i on the one hand it it seems like a kind of imitable style like i I feel like i could go shoot a wang ping film you know you just like (laughs) yeah 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 but um but that's part of the that's part of the like fascination with it mm -hmm. i feel because you feel like oh if i went to that place with a camera that's exactly what i would Mm. do you know like i would just do long shots but he he's probably not that uh hard to approach because i remember uh, when I was in Shanghai, like a friend of mine one day said, oh, this guy just dropped by like our mm-hmm. club, you know, like a small gallery. And then it turned out he was Wang Bing and he was just taking a look <laughs> around. So Awesome. Yeah, I, I know yeah. a few people who uh, uh, have offered to put me in touch with him, but I just couldn't. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I have a hard time meeting my heroes or just talking to filmmakers generally. It's like, what am I going to say? You know, the, the, the film kind of speaks for itself. Um and and in any yeah. case, I was just fucking slammed in Beijing uh, this summer, so I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't come up with anything to say, and I didn't have time to watch you know the like whatever like five films he's made since since in the past three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. eight, seven or eight. So, but uh, in the future, one one day I hope. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, besides what, what, one other. Go on, please. One other director I really like is is this guy is called uh, Huang Weikai. Oh, he did uh, Disorder, he's... right? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen anything else except for he's, that. Uh, me neither, but uh, he I think because he was a, like a young graduate from, uh, I think from Guangzhou. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like Film Academy or something, or from Beijing. But anyway, he's from mm-hmm. Guangzhou. I think he's Guangzhou local, yeah. Yeah, he's local. I think that was an amazing portrait of the city because it's a city you don't really. Mm. no for any like stereo even like stereotype or you know like you know Tongqing is on the mountains and the river it's beautiful and this and that but Guangzhou is just like yeah it's a big mm. city in Guangdong but that movie is really like has got such a like really a personality mm. and it's so like gritty mm-hmm. and absurd yeah yeah, yeah I um uh, it's been a few years since I seen it so I can't um can't say too much about it I um in the past couple of years uh you know i I think like the last time uh the last time i had time to really look into what was going on there was um i saw of course uh kylie blues uh which was oh that yeah yeah, right i made a real splash in the united states um and also i a really good film that i saw um in the same series at uh, Lincoln Center was called um, uh, the English title was Life After Life and the, the, mm, yeah, the Chinese title I can't remember it's some sort of Chang Yu and the mm-hmm. um, the director was named Zhang Hanyi and he I guess has been an assistant director for Jia Zhangke before um, and it right. was it was a really great film, but it was kind of overlooked. It didn't get distribution in the United States, and I think it only showed maybe a handful of other times at other festivals here. Um, I in part because I think it's it's kind of aesthetic strategies were just too familiar, and and in a sense kind of played out at this point. Like it was it was like the the publicity for it like all too accurately described it as like Jia Zhang Cub meets a Pichu Pong Like it was that kind of, okay. it had like the kind of slow social realism of Jia Zhang and it had a, a bit of like deadpan magical realism, like a Pichu Pong. But um, 
And I, whereas it was unhelpful to it to be in the same series as, as uh, Kylie Blues, because that, that film was comparatively yeah. so, so uh, innovative. But I, I would suggest people okay. seek out Life After Life, because it, it really is, despite being kind of familiar, it really is like a, an extraordinary, like sophisticated and like refined version of like that aesthetic. Um, and hopefully the guy moving forward can find a little bit more of his own voice but um, it's it's a really great entry into that style of, of filmmaking. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, did you did you guys did you guys watch uh, Kylie Blues? I mean, Dino and Josh. No, no, I actually uh, this is an interesting conversation, and uh, I want to watch Life After Life just because those two directors. I'm just like, oh, you're gonna mash them together. That's fantastic. But uh, no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> nah, that's alright. So yeah. <laughs> But uh, but Kylie Blues is really beautiful. I think it's um, has been shot by um, a guy from that city. It's like Kylie. It's a really small village. I don't know if it's a town mm. or village. But it's it's kind of a. It's not even a documentary. It's more like a, an experimental fiction movie, but shot with actors from there. It's it's kind of hard to describe. Yeah, I mean, he's he he. On the one hand, he he sort of does something that's kind of familiar, which is like you graduate from art school and then you go back to your hometown and you make a movie with all of your friends, right? right? Like the the movie yeah. is about uh, this guy looking for his nephew, and the performer just was the director's uncle, um, and all of the young people in the in the film are his friends. Um, his but friend, it is yeah. uh, in, in contrast to the kind of like subdued uh sort of social realism that we were that you know jajanka bodies or that is sort of um uh the the main theme of like documentary work there this film is really highly stylized with things like uh super impositions and like a sort of surreal narrative structure yeah there's a lot of uh, like magical realism type of thing like the clocks and Mm. weird things that happen and the 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 one of the real selling points of the film which I had completely forgotten about, uh, but you'll, you'll recall, I hope it'll entice uh, our listeners, <laughs> um, is like there is, the film has like a 43-minute long shot in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and it... Yeah, and it's like a... Yeah, it's like a one-take. Yeah, and it, it I mean, it kind of like comes out of nowhere. Like the, the film is not, it's not exactly like a kind of Wong Bing style, ultra-long shot kind of film. You know, it's it's slow and what have you. But then this 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 uh, this shot just sort of comes out of nowhere. A guy tries to hire. It's like there's a short kind of comical scene with a guy's trying to hire like a uh, a motorcycle taxi. You know he doesn't get it. There's yeah. a little bit of comedy. He tries to hit on a girl, but it doesn't work. Then he gets on the taxi, and you think the shot is going to end. And then as the taxi drives away, the camera just starts following it, and you like literally follow them as they like drive like 15 minutes make a couple stops on the way and then they get to a village and like it's a it's a village that's on two sides of a river and the scene that unfolds like ends up taking place on both sides of the river like they cross the river once by a boat they cross it another time by a uh, bridge in the background there's like a rock band and you can like hear them go through the entire process of like setting up like tuning and then they like play a set um so it's, uh, I mean, it's just absolutely stunning work of, of, of cinema and even yeah. of theater. I, yeah. I, I watched it, 
I watched it with a few people and they all didn't realize that it was a single mm. take, um, like only in retrospect. And then when you realize it, it strikes you even more because you think like, how did he mm -hmm. pull it off? Because you, you have to prepare everything. Like, and he probably shot multiple takes because, you know, everything has to function perfectly yeah. well, including like when the band starts and people that he meets around the way, it must have been like very, you know, hard. Yeah, I, um, I saw him speak at uh, MoMA uh, when it when it premiered here in the US. And um, I think I think I remember him saying that he did he did the shot, I think, like two or three times. Um, and hmm. uh, I, I don't know, I, I think he probably went just like with the first one, or maybe that's just uh, a fabrication of my own memory. I feel like that's always what happens when filmmakers do incredibly ambitious things. like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. They do it a few times, and then they always go with the first time. <laughs> The first one. No, like like that uh like that what was that like that uh people's park by uh jp sneadek yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. an hour-long single shot film yeah. and i think they um i think he said that he had done that like they they did that something like a crazy number of times like 40 to 60 times but like the last 10 or wow yeah really? yeah it was like i guess it was like that was their life for a little bit you know just going to the park every day to do okay. that but they, and then I think it ended up being that like the last, like they, that they did it, they did one and they're like, that's it. I know that that's the take. But then I think they ended up doing it like another 10 times, you know, so. Just to make sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. Cause all, that, that one is also a little bit weird. Like you think, mm. you know, maybe they just went to the park once and mm. shot it. But then there are some parts that are so like all the people involved are kind of familiar with the direct like with the yeah. camera and with the being shot. So you wonder if it's planned or if it's just, you know, being repeated so many times that right. people just took it for granted. Yeah, yeah. When I when I heard him speak about it, um I again in New York, i when I was in New York, I like literally just spent like the past four years doing like almost nothing but going to the movies, you know. Uh, first I had a job, then I didn't have a job and like all I did was go to the movies. Um, but, uh, that's pretty yeah, amazing. It was, it was the shit, man. It was, it was a real privilege. Um, <laughs> not going to lie. It's a real come down to be almost anywhere else in the world for film going. Um, you know, San, yeah. San Francisco is, uh, uh, okay. I mean, Berkeley's great, but it's like w what we really get is a kind of reduced, like a distilled version of whatever's been playing at like Lincoln Center and Anthology in in New York, like eventually makes its way out here. Um, but right. uh, yeah, I believe when, when I saw him talk about that film, a, a lot of the subjects in the film, particularly like performers, like the singers and the dancers in the film, yeah, yeah, were, yeah, the were people that he was like personally acquainted with, uh, had gotten to know. So it was like they were sure. they were familiar with what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, because cause I went to Chengdu a couple, no, like one years before that mm. came out, and I and I remember some of those awesome. dancers, like, like their faces, like they were there. So when I saw it, I was like, oh my god, like this is that guy. <laughs> cool. Uh, so so they were actual people that performed mm. the park. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I mean, thank you for this uh, amazing <laughs> overview of yeah your thought on yeah. I'll, I'll let you know scene, once right? I actually have something original to say, or what, what, once I find. Yeah, that's fine. We can do we can do a, another yeah. podcast. Yeah. That. Uh, actually, quickly, I wanted to ask. Uh, what I mean, you mentioned briefly how the stuff, like what you're getting in Berkeley, is distilled through American curation, mm -hmm. and I was wondering how you feel that might be different from 
any other country's distillation? Like what what uh, focus do you think you end up having? Because oh, that's of that? uh, a good question. Uh, uh, to which you know the answer to which I'm not entirely sure. Of course, um, I mean obviously. Um, I mean, I, I can say that in recent years, I think the the direction of curatorial interest has moved has moved in the direction of a little bit more creative works. You know, this kind of uh, hunger for um, particularly independent documentary uh, has has kind of you know exhausted itself, and I think people are a little more interested in slightly more creative uh, film work like. Uh, like uh, Kylie Blues, for instance, uh, I think that that situation there kind of allegorizes everything. Like you, you had a very familiar like social realist drama with like pseudo documentary elements in Life After Life, and then you had like a much crazier, much more stylized, um, much more aesthetically adventurous film in Kylie Blues, and that's the one that got distribution in America. Um, uh, you know, uh, the American. Uh, the um, uh, American interest in Chinese film is is certainly, I think, uh, kind of tied to France a little bit. There's a very influential, like, programmer, actually at like Cal Arts, named uh, I think Berenice Reynaud, and uh, who programs like Chinese cinema for the Cinematheque in France, and is certainly responsible for getting some of it over here in the United States. Also in New York City. Um, people like uh, Dennis Lim, who does the Art of the Real series at Lincoln Center, or um, Elisa Ma, who is a, a programmer at the Metrograph Cinema, are also responsible for bringing a lot of Chinese and East Asian cinema here. Um, uh, n- not people I know personally, but I, I know their work, as it were. So, um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's the usual kind of thing where like LA and New York are sort of the ports of entry for work here. I'm not sure what people are looking for in other countries. And I certainly know we get probably less of it than one might have in like Japan. I feel like Japan, from my understanding, I feel like Japan is one of the first sort of exit points for independent or like small budget Chinese cinema uh, it's one of the first places it gets funded and, and that's where a lot of the film festivals that people are aiming for are. And then I feel like France is the other major destination and then maybe third, the United States. Um, but as to the actual way in which tastes are structured by sort of geopolitical considerations, um, I'm not sure that I know enough to comment. Um, do you have any ideas? Well, I just uh, I just, I just saw, for example, the, the latest Wang Ping uh, mm. documentary has been premiered like mm. yesterday at Documenta in, mm. in Germany. So, you know, sometimes it's just like they're premiered somewhere and then they're picked up somewhere else by these big institutions. Mm. There's probably not a re- like a national taste, but more like matters of mm. funding. Because sometimes this, this, these movies are actually produced in collaboration with like, you know, the, the French mm. government or the cultural yeah. whatever ministry here or there. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll, every, every filmmaker in the world wants French money. You know, once once you get the right. French money, like you are fucking gold. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Josh, did you you uh, you lived in Japan? Yeah. Yeah, I was there for uh, did, six did years. Did you have much opportunity to see any kind of like uh, Chinese film, particularly like the independent or like artsy variety? And what was what was it like there? Actually, I would say that probably 
me looking at Chinese film ended right before I went to Japan. And then when I was in Japan, it was, yeah, I mean, I went to a few documentary film festivals and yeah, they had like a fair selection of Chinese mm. stuff. And uh, so, I mean, you speaking about it being like the first uh, outlet, I guess, just because it's, you know, it's easy and you can hop over right. type thing. You don't have to make a whole preparation. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, people in film studies departments in Japan that do look into that stuff, like maybe like even half a department at certain mm. places have people that are on that type cool. of stuff. So, yeah. But in terms of like actually looking at it, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm a politics guy, sadly. So mm. yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing there anymore, right. but it's cool to hear about it. Great. So yeah, we got topics. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What do we have, actually? Yeah, I remember in the Slack that, uh, Patrick, you were like, okay, I'm going to read up on Wong Kui and then I'm going to, I'm going to, like, surprise you all with my fantastic uh, takes. So, are we going to do that now? Wang, Wang, Wang Hui yeah, let's, let's let Dino open on yeah. this. I feel like he has strong <laughs> feelings. Strong feelings? Yeah. Yeah, do you have strong, strong feelings for Wang Hui or not? No. I mean... No. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I've actually tweeted about it. I, mean, I basically said, oh, well, I don't hate Wang Hui. I mean, it's, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's sort of the, the, they call him a gorsu or something. So he's sort of the ideologue for the Communist Party. And they really, I mean, he's like the official person who creates theory for them. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's actually like he's he's a public intellectual. Yeah, like like he's the he's the CCP version of a public intellectual. Yeah, 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 that sort of thing. I mean, I think. I mean, he, he he's well, he has sort of connections, obviously, with people like Scott Lash or um, like even even um, Alan Badu, that sort of people. So like, they do have um, these. Um, connections and his position is well respected at least in china so um but obviously you can interpret him in very different ways i mean i was more like angry about the way he was interpreted by people like mackenzie wark rather than one way himself like he's not a controversy yeah, but i think that 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 was the whole point of the the post on New Bloom, right? It was not saying Wang Hui is shit yeah, or whatever. Because he's, he was just saying yeah. he's not the only he's not the only one and I mean I remember reading Wang Hui in class in like two thousand twelve and we were reading like chapters from his books for political theory classes. Yeah. And it was already like clear that he had two faces, like the the English speaking face in which everybody's like, Oh my god, they're like the Marxist star of china and the chinese speaking phase in which he was like you know kind of an intellectual ccp intellectual that sometimes is slightly provocative but not not so like incredibly uh, revolutionary or edgy can, can or you whatever. say more about what his um like what his public presence and persona is like in china because of course i i, I have i only know wang Hui through like english translations and you know this kind of uh this kind of like theory guy appropriation of him so i don't really have any sense of like what he actually is as a public figure in china how who knows about him is it only like 
college educated people who even know his name is it even a smaller number of people than that uh is he on tv you know like wh- i mean what's his persona like there if anybody can say i i don't know maybe, maybe dino knows more about like perception in china he's, he's, i only know he's like uh, yeah he's well respected even um i wouldn't i mean not 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 public figures in everybody knows him no not not to that extent but if you're like college edu- graduate or like especially if you major in some kind of history or humanities you would know him mm. he's sort of the um i don't know like the most famous figure in humanities i guess mm. almost so like um yeah very established and people do yeah but he he wrote that like huge uh history of what is chinese thought modern chinese thought yeah. is like a massive like four volumes or something and i remember that one is taught in like um uh what was that i was in east china normal university and they was were using that as teaching material for like political science mm. classes or stuff like that anything that has to explain you know modern china and politics economy history that is kind of a you know reference yeah. book so but i don't think he's like a pop star you know a <laughs> pop philosopher he's still pretty pretty highbrow and he, he probably gives like you know keynote speeches i think he was keynote speaker at some uh, big conferences even recently in mm-hmm. the us or but um i think asian studies like the latest asian studies conference he was the keynote speaker um and he has a, he's he's a very international scholar also like i think he teaches in many western like american european universities as a visiting professor yeah yeah i think he was did a visiting gig at myu at some point which which is always kind of damning <laughs> uh that they're they're, they're oh, so uh, well like yes and no like they always get the best people or at least the most famous people but it's a real mercenary institution so you know mm. um mm. cool does anybody that actually knows a little bit more. I mean, I've only read uh, what, like a, a few years ago, was the the question of modernity or whatever, and that was twenty years ago. Has but it that's, shifted uh, since then? That that was the one published on Verso, wasn't it? Yeah. No. no well, it was. It was in uh, Social Text, which is out of MIT, I think. But yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's like. But the like, article. yeah, for like for yeah. for the West or whatever. But I felt that even contained in there, where it was like you know obviously for. Uh, perhaps a particular audience, although it was translated from the Chinese. Yeah, I, 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 I felt think, it's, you know I, I I like that article. Like it's a good article. Yeah, it's a good analysis, and he's not bullshitting. Yet yeah. at the same time, the and I think this is what Brian was basically pointing out is that the the if you are talking about uh, you know basically okay these other what was it the new intellectuals was the word he was using for it. The new, are, the new left. People were like, yeah. No, no, not the new left, no. but the people that were uh, post uh, Chananmen and at Chananmen, like around the Chananmen time. There was the there was the new left people, and then there were the kind of like uh, like Westernizing people. Uh, like in the, okay, anyway, in the article, he basically uh, obliquely shits on those people. Okay, yeah, and and the idea was that. Uh, you know, these people are, if you do it in that way, then you're simply uh, subsuming yourself to capital and you're going under the American system. Mm. 
And I think that's, you know, it's a fair point and it's well made, but it's a different type of point to make in 1997 or when it was written in like 94 than it would be to make today in 2017. Right, sure. You know, you have, it's basically like a Chinese empire, like there's an American empire. So I think that was the point that Brian was kind of making that it's the idea, like the idea of, of him has not been updated since that like people read the social text article perhaps because it's been cited like a thousand times yeah and maybe they read a couple of verso books because one came out like a few years ago and one last year i think and i mean they're verso books so he probably wrote them for <laughs> verso you know like you okay know, like, yeah so that's a, that's a shrewd observation that uh that time is an important thing here right like what Wong Hei, what Wong Hui wrote like twenty years ago is 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 not gonna hold today. Even the even the aspirations even even is clearly contextualized within a kind of uh, pro status quo pro CCP kind of thing as they were then. Uh, that's that that plays a lot differently now. Yeah, and I think I mean another point that was made was that he's not the only new left guy. Like mm-hmm. the only other guy that I know is uh, what uh, Tsui. Like the the guy yeah, that edited yeah. down Unger's books, yeah. and I don't know what his stance is. Is he less of a national intellectual? Like I don't know anything about him outside of him editing well, well, like I a mean, big like, guy's I mean, books. Like, but also the new left thing. Like, last time I thought I talked to some friends about it. Basically, Wang Hui denied like he doesn't want to be uh, you know named as part of the new left because he he doesn't think he is part of it and. Apparently, it's not even something that exists anymore because all of the few people that were like activists, new left intellectuals have gone into different directions. So it was kind of a, you know, like a label, an intellectual label of a few years ago, actually like more, I think five and more years ago, uh, kind of like speculative realism or whatever. And now mm-hmm. like he, he doesn't, he's not part of it. He says it's not part of it because it's more of a like intellectual historian he writes history of philosophy in modern china so i don't know how relevant it even is to talk about him in the the context of a new left anymore i'm not sure well i mean can we talk about say i mean can there can it be said that there's a group of people that cares about marxism and gets their thoughts out and relates it through that lens i mean you can call it the new left or not but is there is that a current or it's just like not it's just not relevant basically in China China yeah I, I think what what I liked about the point in, in Brian's essay was that it was just you know shitting on uh, you uh. know this simplifications <laughs> of like yeah let's uh, I'm writing a history of like all the good intellectuals of this century and I need someone about China and of course it's Wang Hui because it published on Versa and I only read the book on Versa and that's it I, I think this was the the point of that article um, because I, I mean, Mackenzie. Because Mackenzie's work has done this in other, like for Japan, he put he put Hiroki Azuma in his book, and I mean, Azuma is kind of it's a fun book, right? But it's like otaku theory that's kind of super Hegelian philosophical masturbations from twenty years ago, I think. You mean the have you uh, have you read the book, the Azuma book? No, I've I've heard people talking about it before. That's it's like a, kinda... it's like a thing. It's like he applies Hegel and a few other philosophers to Baudrillard and um... yeah, and Baudrillard, and so it's like a little postmodern, but also a little like high philosophy, continental stuff. 
to explain, you know, manga and anime and fandom. And it has a lot of weird points and I enjoy it. It's kind of a fun read, but he just, you know, he appropriates it and says like it's it's one of the yeah. thinkers of the century or whatever. It's funny. I've 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 seen Azuma talking about his book himself in the the, the conference that I went to. Um Oh, in Hangzhou? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he actually talked about it. He said that when he wrote about that book, he never thought it would be somehow celebrated like this. He didn't even... It was written as sort of a... Sort of like a essay. Um, yeah. More like literary critique, that sort of thing. That's how he positioned himself. He's not even working in a university anymore. He's now, like, working in a publishing house. And, like, he doesn't even well position himself in sort of the as academic at least more like a well i don't think he ever even did he was like a philosopher yeah but he's, he's, he, he always wanted to yeah he always wanted sort of he's sort of marginal he's never like like his fame is probably way bigger overseas than, than he's well in but Japan. again because that that book was pretty lucky because it was picked up when like manga otaku anime research was kind of popping up in the u.s yeah in cultural studies departments and japanese studies and then his book got translated for like minnesota i think yeah university of minnesota press yeah so that kind of blew up you know it's kind of pop theory of of the 2000s yeah but i mean i'm not I'm, i don't know if like josh if you have read a lot of japanese theorists but i'm sure there's there's a lot of interesting stuff right yeah yeah there's uh there's there's a lot more stuff than just talking about i mean i would think that in the type of people that are taken seriously in japan if you suddenly shifted to talking about anime people would be pretty weirded out yeah. and may <laughs> and may uh throw your book in the trash but um yeah, well, I mean, in, in a way that's kind of lame because it is kind of this like heightened pop culture and there's something there's something different to it and it's a it's a new form. But yeah, no, I mean, there's there's an allergy towards it. Uh, so I can see why that would have gotten traction and why he in the West and why he didn't think that anybody would really care about would it. Care in Japan, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but uh, just just to say that I I think that I mean at least like I I come initially from an international relations background and right, right. I I mean a lot of the weirder guys that I use in my work would and normally like I wouldn't say this in a presentation or whatever but my initial exposure to them would be in a book that would be like a hundred and one theorists of ah, such right. and such ah, right. you know what I mean. So I can't shit on it too much, you know, if you're if you're trying to expose people uh, to something uh, that are just not aware of what's out sure, there. You know? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that being said, I love hot takes. So, uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah. So it's fine. Okay, uh, next, Cambridge University Press. What I was thinking about that is how... Like, how is this decision, how did they even come to such a decision, you know? Because they had to have known that there would be this exact backlash. And I would have thought that they would have decided before, either we're going to say, 
we don't care that there's going to be a backlash and uh, we'll add to like yeah. The, yeah there's just no thinking about that or? i think i think yeah i think basically i read somewhere i think it was the second response like the one in which they said we are not uh you know we're not deleting these articles we're not blocking them in china i right. think the editor said that the decision was made without his consent by someone else so probably they just received the uh the thing by the chinese government or whoever sent it i don't even know if it i, was I don't like think it's the chinese government it's not the chinese yes. government it's the local publisher they have this local distributor or something oh is there a local distributor oh right that makes even more sense yeah it's not the chinese government just, i don't think they yeah, would so care they about just, uh, these academic articles that no one read i mean sure yeah that makes sense so probably they got like the local distributor got a like a blacklist of words so they just went through their database they found those articles yes, and they told yes. them they had to take them down yeah. and then someone in cambridge university press said all right we'll do it and sent a letter but he didn't consult the main editor of the china quarterly yeah so right but he... even without consulting the editors of china quarterly i'm surprised that cambridge university press wouldn't have thought hey, this is going to, you know, really yeah, blow, blow, in, blow in our faces. Yeah. yeah, sure. But yeah, you know, you never know how the, you know, organizational command chain works in these places. They might, they might be all right. Like if there's something, you know, illegal in some countries where they operate, they might have a policy of just, you know, blocking it. Because uh, this might might happen in other countries, right? It might be like in the Middle East if they have distribution there or whatever. In like in Germany, if there's something uh, about I don't know, like Nazism, they might get this kind of takedown requests from other places. So probably they just went through the usual procedure, but then they didn't realize that, you know, people would be pissed off. Um, yeah, actually, that would be something interesting to look into, like yeah. whether in like the Middle East quarterly there's a bunch of you know, articles on the king of Saudi Arabia that right, are right, yeah. inaccessible in Saudi Arabia. That would actually be a good comparison. Because because uh, I remember the editor, the China Quarterly editor was lamenting that he was not consulted. And if he were to be consulted in advance, this could have been, this could have been avoided because he would have said, no, like, don't do it, you know. So I think it's just like a minor, I mean, a major fuck up, but uh, it's not like they would have done it and then they walked back. It's more like, some kind of a communication problem. But yeah, it was weird. Like he said he wasn't consulted, but he did send out the first letter saying that this is happening. So he uh, was it was it the same guy? Yeah, I, th I oh. think so. Yeah, then maybe like his assistant did it or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like an un unpaid uh, research assistant from whatever he messed Who's up. Who's now fired, of course. Who's now fired and starving under a bridge in Cambridge. <laughs> It's just, well, I don't know. Like, um, I like of the, that that few days, my Facebook like Facebook timeline was filled with like petitions and people arguing about this, and I don't know. Like this, there's even sort of misinterpretation that a lot of people assume that the, um, those article became an inaccessible from the main website. That's why they got so mad yeah 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 Did but also it's, it was funny like there was the what was his name Christopher Balding like the guy that I follow him on Twitter 
he's like an economist, a China economist. Yeah. And he immediately came out with a petition that had like a hundred thousand uh, signatures or something. He's the guy who created it. Yeah. And then when they retreated the, you know, when they said they're not going to do it, people were like, yeah, academics saved the day. Like, uh, we can do it, you know, we can. but like, it was not really that, like, they just realized they fucked up and they walked back. I don't know if it was the petition or. Well, it was realizing that people would, you know, reconsider submissions to China Quarterly, even though it's, you know, right, the biggest right. journal. Yeah. Yeah. That might have played out. It scared yeah. them. I, there, there was an article that came out today, I think, on that uh, blog. What's called? Uh, what was it called? Uh, China blog, anyway. Which was like kind of a critical take on this whole thing, saying, "Yeah, sure, you know, they would have been censored, but still, the majority of Chinese people don't have access to that because they have a huge paywall." So, well, SciHub, uh, SciHub usage in China is pretty big, isn't it? It's, it's not blocked, is it? No, it's uh, not. I don't know. It's I haven't looked into it. Probably it's, not, right? It's yeah. not. I tried in China. It's not. Okay, so I, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to like when I was in Beijing two weeks ago. I was talking to um, a few academics there. And, well, they're using it like well, it's common knowledge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, library genesis sign up, uh, common knowledge. So, yeah. I mean, especially. Yeah, I mean, there are. I, I guess there are not many other ways, right? Because universities in China don't have really good subscriptions. No, to, no, only the best ones. Non-Chinese journals. Only the yeah, maybe like Tsinghua or Fudan or whatever. Yeah, they do. Those universities even have their own VPNs and stuff. Um, but only right. those universities. Like, like if you are like even a slightly shittier university, you wouldn't have all this access. Yeah, and I mean, I remember like, uh, when was it, uh, 2010, whatever, in Shanghai around Fudan, there were like carts filled with uh, with like fake books, like academic books, but photocopied or printed. I mean, anyways, there were fake uh, like Shanghai versions, but they were sold on the street. So I guess there has been academic pirating ever since. Yeah. Even before, you know, the internet, or I mean, the like torrents and, and libgen. Yeah. You know, books were just sold on the street like copied versions so yeah i bought some of those ways. stuff before yeah like those vendors selling like um part of the versions of like either literary classics or even yeah i, I bought some academics book uh, academic books and i mean they were like english versions yeah they looked pretty much like the original yeah there were like 20 quai or something yeah it's a shittier paper most of the most of yeah the time. a shitty paper and like some page like cut terribly cut and maybe some errors but yeah there's always ways so like um i guess it's not like it's more like um the the people outside china are making a fuss about it well it was a matter of principle it was like if yeah. i publish you know there's a top journal i publish on it to to advance my career and then if you censor it in china it's like pointless like why am i doing this and it only further made the argument for places like SciHub where it wouldn't be censored because you're tunneling through somebody else's access that's in yeah. the United States yeah. or something. Yeah, or for yeah. open access. I think yeah. I think what they did is like put them on actual open access for China right now. Yeah, like those articles yeah in are the, the end, same, right? yeah. yeah. But anyway, nobody reads papers except like <laughs> I do. I do, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm not like I'm not in a, a normal person. socialist country. <laughs> well, I, I feel that you said 
you were kind of veering into territory where you're like anybody that comes up with a hot take is full of shit but then you just came up with With you know a pretty solid hot take full of shit so that's (laughs) official that's that's pretty good but it was good it wasn't bad you know yeah uh, that's great. Well, we should we should uh, we should wrap up on this conclusion that I'm full of shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's not bad. You can put that outro music on. on right I'm full it, of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>